because people are more likely to respond with a yes during this time of the year than any other time. So I want to encourage you to invite friends and neighbors, family members, especially if they live in the area to church. Uh, I personally think our church is a good church. Uh, It's not perfect. We're still in process. We're still growing. We're still changing. But we are full of real people who love Jesus and love to connect with people. So I'd encourage you to invite people. Everywhere I go, I talk to people about this place and how good it is. And so I encourage you to invite your friends and neighbors to church. Um, What I want to do during this month for all of December, except for the actual Christmas service that we're going to be having on the 17th, uh, I want to jump off of a series that I actually read in a... uh, uh, another pastor's sermon series. Uh, I tend to, like you guys listen to music perhaps when you drive in the car. How many of you listen to music when you drive around or whatever? Okay, I don't. Uh, I, in fact, we went the other night to um, Family Life Network. They had a, a special Christmas thing going on. And my fear the whole time was that somebody was going to ask me, oh, do you listen to our radio station? And I'd have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've listened to it once. Uh, I tend to listen to sermons. That's what I do. I listen to sermons and I read sermons. And months ago, probably five, six months ago, I saw a sermon series that somebody did on Christmas. And I'm going to kind of jump off of that. And he jumped off of the classic Christmas story called The Christmas Carol by Dickens. How many of you have ever read that? You've either read it or you've seen the movie. How many of you didn't read it but you saw the movie? Okay, all right. For those of you that don't read Um, It's a story about a guy by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge who on Christmas Eve was visited by the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, as well as the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come. And the ghosts actually take Ebenezer back in time to decisions that he made and how they played out in his life over a period of time, right up to the present And then, to his horror, he was able to see through the ghost of Christmas yet to come how those decisions would actually have an impact upon his life and what the end of it would be. Now, at the time that he made those decisions, he thought they were only logical. They were just, of course, this is the course you have to take. But now, through this amazing thing called these ghosts, he was able to see the consequences of his decisions and able to see that his past decisions had actually made him a prisoner in his future. So what I want to do this morning is I want to pick up with that kind of theme. I want to talk about things that we have in our past that actually play out in our present, and if we don't deal with it, will play out in our future. Stuff that we bring, stuff that we're haunted by would be another one, another way to say it. So, what I want to do is I want to talk this morning about the ghosts of Christmas past offenses. I want to talk about offenses that we have dealt with in our lives. Um, have you noticed, by the way, that Christmas tends to magnify things? Things that are good somehow seem better during Christmas season. Uh, sense of nostalgia, uh, of family traditions, of peace and goodwill, and we can still hear Tiny Tim say, "Uh, God bless us, everyone, and there's something special about it. You go into the malls. I mean, think about it. These malls are built for the sole purpose of taking away your money. But you go into the mall, and you hear these amazing Christmas songs about the Savior who has come. So it it tends to magnify the positive, but it also can tend to magnify the negative if we're not careful. For some people, Christmas magnifies the negative times in their lives. Did you know that according to psychology today, Christmas time is the time in which suicide rates are at the highest of the whole year? Because things that people dealt with in their lives that they have never actually processed come to bear and are magnified at Christmas time. Uh, They don't celebrate the beauty of a white Christmas. They sorrow over a blue Christmas. 
what might be painful during the year, like uh, family and relational struggles, financial challenges, health crises, losses. I, I just got word today, uh, Cindy Macy's aunt passed away this morning, and that's why she's not here. Losses that people experience can be magnified during this Christmas season. And those challenges that bring such pain can come back to haunt us and hold us as prisoners. So I want to talk to you this morning about ghosts of past offenses and how we might want to handle offenses in our lives. Now, how many of you know somebody that is easily offended? Could you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you know that if the person you're thinking of knew that you were thinking about them when you raised your hands, they'd be offended that you just raised your hands? Um, how many of you would say, if you could be honest, how many of you would say that you yourselves are probably too easily and too often offended? Yeah, I, I think it's probably true for most of us. These offenses can be big or they can be small. When they're small, we tend to tell ourselves, well, we shouldn't be bothered by it. It's not that big of a deal. But they still tend to bug us. They still tend to bother us a little bit. Uh, it can be as simple as, I'll, I'll give you two examples of what happened to me this week. You open the door to go through a door, and as you open the door, you can see somebody coming behind you, so you step aside and you let them through, and they don't even look at you, they don't nod, they don't say thanks, they don't say anything. Or, this happened to me, I think it was yesterday, if it wasn't yesterday, it was Friday, um, you're in traffic. It's busy. I mean, because you realize that Warsaw, I mean, look at the traffic line out there. Warsaw is busy. So you let somebody ahead of you in traffic, and they don't even nod at you. Because don't you know that if you let somebody go ahead of you, the, the least you could do courteously is to nod? That, that's kind of a rule. Everybody knows that. He didn't, he didn't even look at me. Um, or... When you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, and the whole time you're having a conversation with somebody, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're on their phone. Or do you know what's worse is when you post pictures and your friends don't even like it? I mean, how hard is it to hit the like button? And you call yourself my friend? Now, Probably the one that is worst, and this happened to me this week, I think it probably much happens every week, somebody texts you. I mean, my days are busy. I do work. I know people don't think I do. I know some people think you only work an hour a week, but I do work. I promise you, I work. And somebody texts you, and they always seem to catch you at the busiest time. And you take time to answer. In the midst of your hecticness, you take time to answer their stupid text. And I say stupid because it's like, do you know somebody's phone number? I'm thinking, am I my bell? You answer their text, and they don't even answer you. No thank you, no nothing. And what's worse, worse, way worse, is you're looking at your phone, waiting for them to text, and you can see bubbles. Do you know what bubbles mean? It means they're texting somebody. Apparently, you don't matter anymore because you helped them and you're done. I know it. <sighs> okay, all right, calm down. They're just small, they shouldn't bug us. But they do. And we get offended. Uh, think about it. You do something kind or something nice for somebody and nothing comes back your way. Christmas comes and fi family dynamics that you're aware of all year long. This is not new. But there are family dynamics. Every family has stuff. You know that, right? Every family has junk in it. has things that go on. So you know about it all year long, but for some reason, at Christmas, it seems to come to the front in power. Uh, it, it seems like how somehow around holiday time, things just seem worse. 
it's magnified. A time that is supposed to be Christ-honoring often can become more destructive in terms of relationships with the people that we love the most. Now, if we're honest, in our saner moments, all of those things that I gave you and all the other things that you could think of, in our saner moments, we would admit those really are just little things. They're like, they're like the annoying fruit flies that we were infested with in the kitchen the last two weeks that I think we finally got a handle on. They're not going to bite you. They're not going to do anything bad, but they just annoy you. They bug you. That's kind of how I see some of this stuff. Um, but having said that, Having said that, on a more serious note, some of you in this room are actually struggling with some more significant hurts. Some of you have been uh, abused in your life. Uh, some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have uh, extremely dysfunctional connections with people that hurt a lot. So I am not up here by any means saying, just get over it. I recognize some of the offenses that have come our way are really, really serious. I read an account just this week, or I heard it, I'm sorry. I heard an account recently of a woman who dreaded going home every Thanksgiving and Christmas because when she would go home, and again, this is a woman who's married with children of her own, and she is successful, I believe he said. So she's a successful businesswoman. She goes home, and her mother greets her at the door with this phrase, my God, you're still fat. Every Thanksgiving and Christmas. When they leave, her mother says to her, hopefully next time you come, you'll have lost some weight. That's family. And that's the kind of thing that some deal with. And for some of you, it's not necessarily current. It's things that were done in the past that have hurt you tremendously. Um, I heard about a woman who was, in fact, a very successful businesswoman, had her own company, many, many employees under her in California, and she was struggling personally. And it all stemmed back to this one incident. Her mom was a seamstress. And she came into the room one day where her mom was out, and she saw that her mom was making a neighbor little girl this beautiful pink chiffon dress. And she's picking it up, and she's feeling it, and she's holding it in front of her and looking in the mirror. And her mom walks in the room and says, Oh, honey, that dress isn't for you. You're too masculine. That would never work for you. So for some of us, it's not things that just happened yesterday at Thanksgiving. For some, it's things that come from our past. Uh, some wounds hurt a lot. And things happen that kind of rub them wrong and the scab is pulled off and they hurt. Some of our offenses are with people, family. But there are some of you here today who are offended with God himself. Why did God let this happen? Why didn't God do something? He says he's all-powerful. He says he's all-loving. Why didn't he do something? I asked him again and again. I begged him. And you're offended with God himself, the ultimate one who promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. The problem is that so often when we're offended, we let those offenses find a deep place in our hearts and minds and like Ebenezer Scrooge, if we're not careful and if we don't actually deal with them, they can make us a prisoner to our past and they can destroy our hopes for our future. You know, um, it's possible. I, I don't say that it's any of you. But it's possible for people to go through the motions at this season of the year where they will buy and give gifts and they will receive gifts with a smile on their face, but inside they are disconnected because they have a broken heart about these very people. That's why this morning I want to talk to you about offenses. It's not because it's a favorite subject of mine, it's not. 
but because I feel like we all deal with this at some level. Now, if you get nothing else, I hope you do keep listening, but if you get nothing else, I want you to get this one thought, and this is worth the price of your admission today. I believe that your life is too short and your purpose is too high, too great, to allow offenses to short-circuit it all. You're worth too much to let the stuff of your past control you forever and to ruin your future. I mean, think about it. What is life? According to the scriptures, life is a mist. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. Um, I don't know why. I started on, I believe it was Friday of this week, looking at old pictures. Have you ever gone through and looked at old pictures of yourself at various times in your lives, and you wonder what you were thinking, what you're feeling? Because now you're processing it with a few more years under your belt. And all of a sudden it hit me. I feel like Rip Van Winkle. When I think of myself, I think of myself as a 18, 19, 20-year-old teenager. All kinds of hopes in life. I'm going to go on and I'm going to be a professional baseball player. But I awakened 37 and a half years later, married with three children and eight grandchildren. And my thought is, how in the world did that happen? When Maybe this isn't true for you, but when I think of my family, when I think of my kids, I see them in a certain way. I see them at certain stages. This is how I see my kids. There they are, all three right in a row. Jonathan, Jeremy, and Jennifer. She was our ballerina. When I look at Jeremy, I think, he's got something really impish in those eyes. Scares me a little bit. And John, he was happy. He was smiling. He was smart. We had taught him the definition of photosynthesis at nine months old. So when I think of my kids, that's what I think. And I think, what happened? They were just babies yesterday. Life is too short, and your calling is too great to let anything short-circuit to sabotage your future. What I want to do is I, I want to start with one verse, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Proverbs 19.11, it's going to be on the screens just because some of you have gotten into the habit of not bringing your Bible with you. Proverbs 19.11, how many of you know where your Bibles are at home? Proverbs 19.11 says this. I'm going to kind of talk about this verse and then we're going to move on. Uh, and by the way, if I seem slower today than normal, that's because just before I got up to speak, Ashley came to see me and said, are you preaching today? And I said, yes. She says, could you take a long time and speak really slowly? Because we need a lot of time helping these kids get ready for the Christmas service. So that's why. Proverbs 19.11 says this, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Or some of your translations say a transgression. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. But what does it mean, really, to overlook an offense? Overlooking an offense, please hear me, is not the same as pretending it didn't happen. Overlooking an offense is not saying it never happened. It's a conscious decision to let it go so that it doesn't hold me prisoner to its wound. It's, in other words, a form of forgiveness. We tend to think for the little stuff, I just have to let it go. For the big stuff, I have to forgive. But the truth is, even the little stuff, if we really want to be free of it, we have to learn how to forgive. It's a choice. It's a decision that I'm not going to allow that situation or that person and what they have said to capture and hold my heart imprisoned by that offense. The word of overlook, by the way, the word overlook in the scripture comes from two Hebrew words. 
And it literally means to cross over. It's a word picture in the Hebrew. It means to go across a stream and not take the other bank with you. You're now on the other side. What was there is left there, and you have now arrived on the other side free of the weight of it. Um, it's one's glory to pass over an offense. The main idea in Hebrew is the idea of movement. It's not getting stuck in that offense. When it speaks of glory, or some of your translations say honor, it literally means, which I did not know this, this was like came as a complete revelation to me. The word glory literally means an ornament. Like the ornament, not that you put on your Christmas tree, although that might be able to be carried. It literally means the ornament that you put around your neck, like a necklace, to beautify the person. It's that which makes you more comely, more beautiful, more handsome. So what he is saying is when you choose to cross over to the other side and not carry the offense with you, something happens in your soul where you become more beautiful, more comely. You don't carry the disfiguration of that offense that is like an acid that causes your whole face to be destroyed. <coughs> Proverbs says it's a person's glory to rise above, to overlook, to look beyond, to pass over an offense. One of the quotes I came across was by Rene Descartes, who said, whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. Why? Why do we overlook an offense? Because life is too short, and my reason for being is too great to get stuck back there. I want to move on. That's what the idea is. Movement. So, the movie that came out several years ago. Frozen. How many of you guys saw Frozen? How many of you guys have Frozen memorized now because you got kids? What's one of the songs in it? Oh yeah, Let It Go. That's what the Scripture's saying. But let it go in a specific way. You don't just let it go by saying, oh, well, who cares? Just run off my back like water off a duck's back. I just, I don't care. I don't. No, you did care. It's a choice. It's a decision to forgive and then to move on. And it sets you free and it sets them free. Now, I want to kind of break this down into two very, very simple thoughts. These are not like rocket science or anything like that. These are not like, I didn't take time to try to make these fancy. But here are the points. Number one. With God's help, I'm going to get over being easily, easily, easily offended by all of the little things. Um, years ago, I'm talking about, I was probably at that point 25, 26 years old. Years ago, there was a story, a news account of a man who literally ran from the west coast of California to the east coast of New York. How many of you guys remember that at all? He ran the whole way. Forget Forrest Gump. I mean, this guy ran the whole way. And when he got to New York, there were all kinds of reporters there, and they were asking him all kinds of questions. You know, like, did you ever feel like quitting? But one of the questions really struck a nerve. It says, what was the hardest thing you faced the whole time? And he said this. He said, it wasn't the sun or the rain or the cold or the heat it wasn't even the big trucks flying by on the interstate going so fast that they about blew you off your feet. The hardest thing for me to deal with the whole time was sand in my shoes. You see, we tend to gear up for the big things. When we know we're going to face something that's hard, we shore up all of our defenses and we get ready for it. It's the little things that erode our joy, our peace, our sense of well-being. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Let me say that again. Be patient with each other. Making allowance, making room for each other's faults because of your love. Now, 
How many of you know somebody who's not perfect? I know. I ask some of the dumbest questions. Everyone with whom we deal is not perfect. And if we're honest, neither are we. We all are imperfect. We all have, as Ephesians 4.2 puts it, faults. Paul tells us to make allowance for faults. Why? He tells you why. Because of your love. Because of your love, you're to make allowance for faults. What's interesting, though, is how often we tend to judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. You know, somebody says something, and it comes out wrong. We don't like it. It's, it's, it's bad. And we'll confront them. You said it. You did it. There's no excuse. You can't get around it. But when somebody comes back to us and says, but you said this, you say, yeah, but maybe, maybe it just came out wrong, but you know my heart. I would never have meant something like that. We judge others by their actions and words. We judge ourselves by our hearts. And we think our hearts are pretty good. We, we meant, well, it just came out wrong. It's one of the reasons why it's so daunting for me to stand up here every single Sunday. It's because I know I have faults. And I need His grace. And I need your grace. I need you to make allowance for me. Because, I mean, think about it. Uh, it hit me recently. I don't know why. Maybe that's why I started looking at old pictures. I'm not sure. Um, it hit me recently that um, I am getting older. In five months' time, five months now, I'm counting down. I'm hoping Christmas takes a long time to come. In five months' time, I will be 60 years old, which is the benchmark for old. It's true. And over 60 years, can you imagine this? Imagine, get this in your mind. Over 60 years, at just even one a day, one mistake, one fault, one thing said not kindly, one thing not done properly, that's 365 times 60. How much is that? Yeah, it's a lot. Think about it. I have a lot of stuff that I'm aware of in my life. And every single time I stand in front of you, I'm very aware of it. I'm aware of times when I have not done things well. And by the way, it's not just what you say or what you do. Sometimes it's how you say it and how you do it. We need to make allowance. Everything in me wants to say to you sometimes, give me a break. Give me some room to finish growing. 21,900 is what he just told me. Jacob just told me. That's how many faults I've had. <laughs> Don't believe that. That was only one a day. <laughs> I'm up in the gazillions. I want to say to you, I'm not done with my journey yet. And neither are you. And Paul says, make allowance for one another's faults because of your love. Um, we need to recognize that sometimes in our lives, our loved ones, people around us just have a bad day. And sometimes when you have a bad day, you say something stupid. Or you do something stupid. Or you say it in a wrong way. You say an unkind thing, you have a bad response, it's unkind, unfriendly, uncaring. All of that stuff goes on. And when that happens, I want you to keep this in mind, okay? I want you to get this in your mind. When that kind of stuff happens to you, and it will, it's probably happened already as I've been speaking because I've said something in a way you didn't like. When that happens, keep this one thought in mind. It's not all about you. Maybe 
My unkind word really has nothing to do with you at all. Maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm in a bad place. I've got stuff going on, and it came out that way, but it's really not about you. That driver who cuts you off in traffic didn't do it just to make your day worse. Maybe he has something else going on. I thought many, many, many times about the fact that uh, when Jennifer was in that car accident and we jumped in our car and we flew to Strong Memorial Hospital in Rochester, I broke about every law you could imagine. Uh, speed limit didn't matter to me. I didn't care if a policeman got behind me. I would have just waved him on. He said, keep following me and give me a ticket there. I didn't care. Because love trumps even values. When somebody has a need, love trumps it all. And yet I can guarantee there were people that I passed and they'd say, what are you, a maniac? Yeah, I am. I'm a maniac who loves my kids. And I'm going to get there. I don't care what you think about me. Realize that not everything is about you. The fact that they walked by you without saying hi might not be about you. Maybe they had something else going on, something else in their mind. Husbands, your wife's PMS isn't about you. I know you think it is, but it's not. In fact, the only time it's about you is when you bring it up. Don't bring it up. PMS, by the way, literally for all husbands, PMS means please make sense. <laughs> but it doesn't. It's not about you. When someone is short with us, um, I'm wondering sometimes if it might be worthwhile, if it might be more mature on our part to at least consider this. I wonder what they're going through that this is coming out of them. I wonder what they're dealing with. Um, I tend to be, because of my upbringing and because of personality, I think I tend to be a very much a performance judger. I make assessments based upon performance. So that when I go into a restaurant, I expect a certain level of performance. I expect you to be nice to me. If you're a waitress or a waiter, I expect you to meet my every want and need. I'm paying you to do it. That's what the tip is called. Be nice to me. And when you're not nice to me, there goes that tip. I wonder sometimes, though, if we ever took one step back and thought, this waiter, this waitress, has a life outside of this restaurant. And maybe they're dealing with something that's far more significant than the fact that I said I wanted honey mustard, not honey poppy seed. You know, all those first world problems that we think are so important that we're ready to throw a hissy fit over because you brought my food and it's not what I ordered? Not exactly. I told you I wanted my bacon crisp so it breaks and it bends. I tried it. I picked it up with my fork and it bent. One of the things I've noticed about myself is when I go overseas, when I go on missions trips, my expectations for food are a whole lot lower. I think, why can I do it there but I don't do it here? Is it possible the things that are offense to you, things that bug you from other people, maybe they're really not about you at all. Maybe they're about what that person is struggling with and dealing with that you know nothing about. I want to personally grow to a point where I can acknowledge with compassion that people have faults. Maybe they should have been more attentive to me. They've got a life, and they've got stuff going on, and can I at least show some care and compassion? I had, um, I'm just thinking of it now, so I didn't go back and ask my wife for the truth, because uh, she always remembers better than me. But I have a recollection of, I think it was a friend of ours, who was in a restaurant, and the waitress did so poorly, it was unbelievable. Every single order at the table was wrong. And the people were talking about it, like, you know, let's just walk out without leaving and stuff like that. He did something amazing. 
and again, if I'm remembering the story right, I think it is. He instead called her over to the table and said, you seem to really be having a hard day. I don't know what's going on. I'm really sorry. I want you to know, and he named her by name, we're going to pray for you. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know if this would help at all. But here's the tip for $100. I want to just bless you in the name of the Lord. And she just began to fall apart weeping because of the stuff she was dealing with. Is it possible that some of the things that we get offended about are actually God's opportunity to us to minister compassion and care for people? I mentioned, by the way, in our life group uh, this, was it last week? I don't know. Jeff, I'm sorry. Last week, thank you. Close enough. That one of the things that has begun to offend me, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, is how frequently people use the term offended. It doesn't matter what goes on. Somebody will come. I can literally, this has happened. This happens. I can get done with preaching, and I'm barely done saying amen. And somebody will come up to me with courage, they think, and say, I want to talk to you about something. I'm offended by this. And everything in me wants to say, you're not offended. You just don't like it. The word offense literally means to cause to stumble so as to drop out of the race. Are you telling me that after five years of walking with Jesus, after 10 years, after 15 years of being a Christian, you're going to drop out of the race because we changed our bulletins? Is that really what you want to say? We've made some changes, and I guarantee some of those changes have been hard for some people. They've been hard for me. Every single time I look at that video of myself, I'm thinking, I don't look like that. I don't act like that. What's the problem? I'm offended. (laughs) No, I'm not. I just don't like it. The only redeeming part of that whole video is every time it comes on, Caleb climbs up into my lap and says, Grandpa, Grandpa, on TV. He thinks I'm famous. (laughs) That makes it all worth it. We get offended by little things when really we're not offended at all. We're not stumbling. We just don't like it. And when you don't like it, learn to repeat to yourself these words. It's not always about me. About my wants, about my likes, about my dislikes. There are things that we have changed that I can guarantee would be a challenge for some. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm merely saying Can you, instead of finding what's wrong, wouldn't it be something if we purpose to find what is right and talk about that? Talk about the things that can edify, that can build up, that can show love and compassion. Um, Okay, I'm going to move on. Number two. The second thought is this, and I said, these are are not fancy. They're, They're not fancy at all. You could have worded them way better, but these are just simple things. Number two. My second thought is this. With God's help, I'm going to release and forgive the offenses from all the bigger things. I know. First little things, then big things. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. All of it. I'm saying, can we forgive and release all of it? Um, I understand that for some of you, you have some very, very significant wounds in your life. Things that have happened to you that have hurt you tremendously. I'm not talking about where somebody just doesn't say hi. I'm talking about serious stuff. Abuses that have been done to you. Things that have been horrific, evil. I'm not minimizing. I'm not Bob Newhart up here saying, just stop it. Because it's easier said than done. Some of that stuff really hurts us and takes a long time to process healing. I'm not in any way minimizing the level of your woundedness or your hurt or the severity of the offense that came in. And this Christmas season of all tends to stir up all of those senses that can happen in our past that have hurt us, wounded us, betrayed us. All of that stuff goes on. But I want to suggest to you that when you are hurt, you have a choice. We all have choices. We have a lot of choices. One of the choices we have, by the way, one of the things that I find myself falling into all too often is the choice to rehearse it again and again in my mind. It's what I call chewing the mental cut of offense. It's where I play it over and over and over and over again. And every time, it's like it just happened freshly again. 
So we can do that. We can just continue to rehearse it again and again. Or rather than, rather than rehearsing it, I'm wondering if it might be better for us, healthier, wiser, more mature, for us, instead of rehearsing it, for us to release it. To find a way in God to actually forgive. Forgiveness, and this is kind of where I want to focus just a little bit today at the end. Forgiveness, I think most of us think of wrongly. And I think part of that is a teaching that is out in the church. And please forgive me, I don't want to in any way contradict people that are far wiser and older and more anointed than I. But I can only tell you from my own experience. One of the things that is taught in the church is that forgiveness is an event. It's a transaction. That's the word that's used most often. It's transactional. Just forgive. And I want to suggest to you that that's true. It is. It is an event. But it's not just an event. It's also a process. It is both event and process. It is a decision you make to forgive in the moment, but then you take some time walking that out in your life. Um, Colossians 3.13, Paul says this, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. So you also must do. Both words in that text, look at them, bearing and forgiving, are written in the Greek language, and they are written in what is called the present middle voice. That means two things for you. Number one, it's your decision. It's your decision. No one can impose it upon you. In the same way that whenever the word submission is used, it's written in that middle voice, which means you can't demand submission. It can only be freely given. In the same way, you can't demand forgiveness from somebody. It can only be freely given. It's a decision you make to forgive. So the first thing is you forgive. The second thing is you determine the time. Now, in this particular case, Paul puts it in what's called the present middle voice, which means you should do it now. In fact, really what he was saying is when you read these words, forgive. When you read these words, when you hear these words read to you, now would be a good time to forgive. You, forgive. You choose to forgive. Present, middle, voice in the Greek. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The basis of our forgiveness is never that they deserve it. Because they don't. Let me say that again. The basis of our forgiveness is not that the other person who offended us deserves it. Because they don't. The scripture puts it this way. The soul that sinneth, that's what an offense is. They've abused you. They've done something to betray you. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. That's God's pronouncement, by the way. That's not just me. That's not Pastor Chris standing up saying, I think you should all die. That's God saying, if you sin, your just deserts are death. So what do we deserve? We deserve death. The basis of saying to you that we should forgive is not that they deserve it. They and you deserve death. The basis of our forgiveness is that God forgave us. That's what he says even as God in Christ forgave you. See, once you've accepted and received His forgiveness, He has an expectation. There's not too much that God puts upon us, but He puts this upon us. And this is as crazy and outlandish an idea as you could ever imagine. He says, I would like you to forgive in the same way that I do. Freely release them. Because when you release them, you're really releasing yourself because you've been living in a prison of unforgiveness. Some of you, even as I've been talking, have been thinking about somebody right now. Something has come to your mind that has happened to you. Or somebody has hurt you, they've wounded you, 
they have abused you. They've treated you in a way that is uh, horrific and inappropriate. What do you do? They hurt you so badly. What do you do? I want to suggest to you the only response that is both biblical and life-giving is you forgive. You forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you will not only carry it forward in your life towards that person, you will find it begin to be translated into other scenarios, other situations. This person betrayed you. Pretty soon you think, all men betray me. That's how it works. You've become a prisoner of your own unforgiveness. So the most life-giving, freeing thing you can do for yourself is because you have been forgiven much by God, you forgive much. How do we forgive? It starts with a decision. It starts with an event. It's where you stand up front and you say, God, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can do this anymore. I've forgiven in the past and it just happened again. I've forgiven again and it's happened again. I don't know how I can do this. You make the decision in that moment, front and center in your life, to forgive, to release, to set them free from the need for you to hold punishment. The scripture is interesting. It says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. While you're holding that person under your thumb of unforgiveness, do you know what you're really doing? You're removing them from the arena of God actually getting at stuff in their life because you're now being their judge. God says, I'm the true judge. Let me do it. I can do it better than you. And, oh, by the way, he probably won't do what you think you, he should do because you think he should just... That's what you think. If you're honest, squash them like a bug, God. All right, I'll give them over to you as long as you do what I think you should do. God probably won't deal with them that way because God goes far deeper than what you saw and experienced. He goes to the heart of their brokenness that was so broken that they then broke you. We forgive as or because We've been forgiven. I don't know about you, but just my sheer accumulation of years means I've let a lot of people down. I've hurt a lot of people. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've lied in order to protect myself or to make myself look better. I've stolen. I've done about, there's probably nothing that I could preach on. I haven't done because I'm stupid. I do dumb things. But I'm forgiven. And he says, as you are forgiven, you are to forgive that which seems so unforgivable in the life of others. And by the way, it's not just that I sinned 20 years ago and now I'm a lot better. I need God's forgiveness every single day. And so do you. We all need forgiveness. It starts somewhere. It starts sometime with the understanding that because I have freely received forgiveness from God, I want to freely give forgiveness. It starts with a decision, an event. But then it becomes a process of walking it out. Um, one of the lies, and I'm going to say lies, that might be too strong a word, I don't know, but one of the lies that I always believed was that if I forgave somebody, I should then let them back into my life and I should have no ill feelings whatsoever. I should never think ill of them ever again because I've forgiven them. And so I would make a decision. I'm thinking about a specific event in my life right now. I made the decision to forgive. And then I would lay in my bed and that person's name or face would come to my mind. And immediately I would be overwhelmed with all of the same anguish, all of the same hurt that I had felt when they actually did it. And then I would feel bad. I think, thought I forgave. I guess I don't. God, you got to help me forgive. I don't know how to forgive. I guess, God, you, you need to show me how to forgive. Because I, I, I thought I forgave, but I guess I don't forgive. And I want to say to you, that's not true. I did forgive. I made the decision to forgive. 
But the process is where the feelings are dealt with. It's where we make the decision, not just yesterday to forgive, I make the decision today to forgive. And tomorrow to forgive. I make the decision every single day. As that person comes to my mind, I make the decision. And what I have discovered is, over years, feelings tend to wane. Some of the anguish I felt doesn't feel the same anymore. I'm thinking about, again, a very specific event in my life. And now I look at it and I think, I wonder what was going on inside of him. I wonder. What he did was wrong. In fact, I would say what he did was sin. It was sin. But it doesn't carry the same sting for me anymore. Because every day over a period of years, I would forgive. And when the feelings would come back, instead of saying, I guess I didn't forgive, I would say, God, I need your help. And now, many, many, many years later, I not only can think about them without the sting, I can actually think about them and believe God for the best for them. God, I, I, I will never say what they did was okay. It wasn't. But God, they're still loved by you every bit as much as I am loved by you. You gave your life for them the same as you gave your life for me. Forgiveness is both an event and a process. And when we make the decision to forgive, it doesn't mean all the feelings immediately evaporate. That's the process over time of choosing day by day to continue to walk in forgiveness. I believe that those wounds of our past either become a prison that we live in or they can become, if we so choose, a trophy of God's grace. Where there, too, God met with me in my brokenness. He healed me and he set me free so I no longer have to live there. In the Old Testament, Joseph was probably the best example of anybody that I can imagine. He was hated by his brothers, beaten up, thrown into a pit with the intent to kill him, it says. Then they changed their mind and said, let's make some money off of him, and they sold him into slavery, where he then ends up in prison. If anybody had the right to not forgive, it would have been Joseph. To be angry and bitter. <clears throat> to allow all of that stuff to become his prison. But instead, at the end, faced with those same brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He could have stayed back there. He could have stayed a prisoner. He could have been as much a prisoner of his offense as he was a prisoner in Pharaoh's prison. But instead, he chose to forgive and to release, and to see that somehow, in the midst of it all, God did something in me. Because that's ultimately God's joy, is to use the stuff that happens to us for his good. In fact, we, we put it like this. For God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purposes. That's what he says. I'm going to work it for good in your life. I'm going to cause good. Even that, I'm going to bring good out of it. Is what happened good? No, never. But could God redeem it if we give it to him? Yeah, I think he can. As I have been forgiven that which is unforgivable, I choose to forgive. It's your glory, it says, to overlook, to move beyond, to not be held hostage by offense. Why? Because your life is too short, your purpose in God's kingdom is too great to get stuck there. Now, having said all this, I want to just finish with this one final thing. I want to tell you, I, I'm, this is as short as it's going to get. Forgiveness is not this. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not meaning that you put yourself back in an abusive situation. It means you forgive. You release. Um, there are people who have, um, I'll just use this as the example because it's easier. 
people perhaps who have stolen from you, literally stolen, and you choose to forgive them. You choose to forgive. You choose to release them from it all. Maybe even release them from the debt of it. That doesn't mean you give them back your wallet. That's putting yourself back in an abusive situation. It means you forgive. But I'm also aware, okay, you've got some issues that God is still dealing with in your life. And we're going to be aware of that. We're going to be careful. We're going to love you, but we're going to be careful. So, forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't happen, doesn't mean it's okay, and it doesn't mean you put yourself back into an abusive situation. It merely means before God, as you have been forgiven, you forgive. Would you bow your heads with me? When we choose to forgive, it doesn't change what happened in the past. But I believe it does change what God can do in my future. It's to your glory to pass over to the other side of the offense. Again, with your heads bowed, just between you and the Lord. This has been perhaps a little bit more of a serious, somber kind of thing than I would normally have liked at Christmas season where you want everything to be joyful and happy. But the truth is, at Christmas we deal with real stuff. And I'm wondering, just between you and God and me, honestly, as a witness, not because I'm trying to figure out what went on in your life. That doesn't matter. I'm not asking it. But just so that you can say to God, God, this word is for me. There have been things that have happened in my life that have been such deeply wounding offenses that even in hearing this today, it was hard for me. Everything in me wanted to stand up and say, you don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through. You're right, I don't. But he does. He weeps for the pain of what you've gone through. And you're saying to God, God, I don't know how I can do it, but I've heard your word today and I want to want to do it. I don't want to right now, but I want to want to do it. I'm asking you to help me to want to do it and to actually be able to forgive. If that's you, if you have somebody specific or maybe more than one, something specific that has happened in your life that has been wounding, you're saying, I want to, I want to. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, that's me, I want to. And again, you don't have to, uh, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Every one of us, I'm at my hands raised, honestly. There are things that have happened that are hurtful deeply hurtful, that have impacted my life. God, I choose, I choose today, freshly, to forgive. Father, in Jesus' name, I know that the words that I have said are just that, they're words. They've been spun together as well as I can, but they're just words. But you are the word. Let your word penetrate to our hearts. You said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, for those who raise their hands, I'm asking you to give them the courage to face this thing head on instead of thinking it hasn't impacted me, when the truth is it's clear to everybody around me it has. Instead of saying it doesn't matter, when it does, to look at it in the face and to say, this was wrong. This was evil. This was sin. This was destructive. This hurt. But God, I choose to forgive and to cross over because, Lord, if I don't, I'm going to stay in the prison on the other side of the river. We have a river of grace that's available to us, and I don't want to miss out on that. I want to cross over the grace of forgiveness. I'm asking you, Father, to help these who are gathered today, those who raised their hands and those who perhaps were too embarrassed to raise their hands. 
I'm asking you to come and to meet with them and to help them to make that decision, even today, to make the decision to perhaps go aside into their own bedrooms or uh, some private place and say, God, I make the decision. I'm going to forgive. And then give them the courage to walk it out every day. Not to worry about tomorrow, but today. Today. We can't worry about yesterday. Today. Today, I choose to forgive. And when I get to tomorrow, I will say, today, I choose to forgive. And when feelings rise up, I choose to forgive. I have forgiven. Father, I'm asking for that kind of courage and that kind of tenacity for every single one here today. Let great grace rest upon us that we could become lovers and forgivers like our Father in heaven. That's what it's about, Father. And now, Father, I commit every single life that is here to you over this Christmas season in which it can seem to some like the world goes crazy, commercialism at its best, but there's still like this this seed of a Savior. A Savior. Christ the Lord has come. Lord, let each one of us rejoice in that over this season. That we are saved, we're forgiven, grace has come to us, we know the Savior, and we can rejoice. Even when we go into the mall and we hear the songs, we can sing with them and say, God has come. Lord, let that kind of joy, that kind of peace, be our portion upon every single soul, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. You want to gather everybody and we'll meet in there? That's it. Tonight will be the meeting, obviously. The problem is that not everybody will be there either. So maybe if Elizabeth's so willing, we could do two pictures and we could blend them somehow or she could figure out how to stand people so that somebody who's not there could stand in the right place the next time.